You're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast. Where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Welcome back to the show team. My name's Amelia and today we have yet another awesome guest on the show. We have Sid, who is many, many things, too many to introduce like straight up, but we'll start with business person and STEM enthusiast. Welcome to the show, Sid. Amelia, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, I'm guessing from all the ways we could have introduced you, this could be a bit of a tricky question, but but we'll try for it anyhow. What is your job? It is always a tricky one to answer that. I would say my job is to inspire young Australians to help find their voice. Um, high school that's, students. That's big. Specifically. <laughs> uh, high school students more specifically. Uh, girls even more specifically and students from the lower socioeconomic or underrepresented backgrounds to be even more specifically but uh, broadly speaking inspiring young people to find their voice do you want to go into a little bit of how you might do that absolutely because uh, that's that's not easy it is not easy but i think uh, you know i'm a huge advocate for and there were a few aha moments in my journey over the last few years that have led me to this point but I would like to say that I, I run a mentoring program and a mentoring plays a huge role in my life, uh, has played a role in my own life. And uh, I, I, I do a lot of work with people in mentoring them. And so we, we mentor young people in the field of STEM and help them find their STEM voice. That doesn't mean that they have to say yes to STEM, but at least answer the question whether a life or a career in STEM is for them or not. Do you want to take this opportunity to plug your organization a little bit? Absolutely. I um, am the founder of a for-purpose organization uh, called BrainSTEM, which is a incredibly neat acronym for bringing research and innovation to STEM. Uh, and it's an organization that uh, works with high school students and mentors them in the field of STEM to answer those critical and complex questions about whether STEM is a career for them or not. And like, it's such a big field. That's a big sort of space to be working in. How have you got any structures in place to help people? I mean, even to start with understanding what STEM can include. So we've been on a journey. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a startup mentor myself. I mentor young people. I mentor PhD students. And, and I'm a huge advocate for if you have an idea, you act on it give it a go and then see how it plays out. And that's the exact same model we applied for BrainSTEM when we started back in 2016. And there's a story in terms of how it came about, which we, if we get a chance to share, uh, we'll sort of go into that. But in terms of the model and how we do it, we, we run a mentoring program every semester and it's called the BrainSTEM Innovation Challenge, which essentially is a 12-week mentoring program. Uh, we take students in year nine, year 10, we arrange them in groups of four or five students each, and each group is matched to a early career medical researcher, you know, early or mid-career researcher, a PhD, postdocs in universities, and they go through a mentoring program. So that's the basic structure. It's very open in terms of what topics they pick. They all start with the sustainable development goals. They then find a common ground in terms of what resonates with them. And then from there, the journey of discovery and critical thinking and problem solving and failing and all those sort of things start after that. 
Yep. And it, I think the failing part is a very important part of uh, any STEM journey, failing and then getting back up again. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's two approaches of uh, the word failure that we sort of talk about in our program. The first one is to get comfortable with failure, but not get used to failure. Um, and the second one, which is, I think it's, it's quite cliched, is, is failure should not be an option, but a necessity in, our, in all our programs. And I think uh, everyone listening who you know has lived at all in life will um, will be on board with that one. Now you've mentioned mentoring a couple of times. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? Absolutely. Just about like mentoring is a bigger kind of picture because it's something that comes up a lot. Is people like often want to have a mentor or they want to be a mentor and they kind of don't really know where to start. Have you? And I'm going to start with you being a mentee. Like, have you been had like awesome mentor? in your life that like how have you got the most out of those relationships so i think i would like to believe that most people in my decade of when we were born or my generation and we don't have to be specific it's okay no we don't we're not i'm not going there (laughs) but uh, i think most people in sort of my slice of professional life as we're making our way through the professional years of our life became aware of the value of mentoring a bit later in our lives. You know, we, we weren't in our college years or the early work life that someone said to us, hey, you need to get a mentor and you go and get one, right? We, we came to, and I, and I think globally that mentoring conversation became more front and center, I would say in the last 15, 20 years or so, 15 years, if you know, sort of, that sort of time frame. And in that process, I've I've had numerous, and I've run mentoring workshops, and I've coached people on how to mentor uh, a number of times. And there's a whole concept of informal mentoring, informal mentoring, peer mentoring, and there's different flavors of that. So I've had, have I had a person who is like, you are my mentor, and for the next seven months, we will meet every ever so often and have a mentoring conversation? Not really, but I would like to believe I've got a backpack full of mentors. Who are who I have leaned on at different points in time, and I've been very open with them about why I'm having the conversation with them. And I've been very, they've been very generous with their time, and I've been very grateful of the advice that they've given me because there's no way I can purchase or buy or get their lived experiences, even if I tried. But to be able to get a sliver of knowledge that they are able to give me from their lived experiences is incredibly invaluable. And that's where the mentoring sort of really starts to kick in. And the generosity of people like sharing their experiences so you can learn from them and maybe you don't have to make the same mistakes or something like that. That's It's so generous of people. Well, I think a good mentor is someone who can observe and watch that their mentee is going down a certain path where they know that something might not go right and not stop them but let them go down that path and then come back and ask them and have a much deeper conversation in terms of what were the learnings out of that. Otherwise, they would be a coach, right, and not a mentor. How have you collated your backpack full of mentors? I am obsessive about networking. I People who know me uh, are sick and tired of me telling them this the, the concept of the circle of five, uh, where you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. And I talk to young people, I talk to early career researchers, I talk to my son, my wife, you know, my brother, everybody that I talk to about what are are your circles of five? Who are these five people that 
you've got in your life who are way smarter than you are and that you're engaging with them, reading what they're doing, writing and doing what they're doing and learning from them. And through those cultivation of various circles, have I been able to identify people that I know I can most certainly learn from. I've come across to see what their values are like, what their thoughts are like, and uh, what they've achieved in their life, you know, overcoming adversities and challenges and etc, etc. So uh, that's how the backpack has been filled up progressively over the years. Sort of a collection of people. Do you think all these people know that they've been your mentor at some point? Or like sometimes have they been like a, a secret mentor? <laughs> uh, I, I think, well, I, I have certainly told uh, a number of them. And let's put a number, there's probably about 10 that I have in my backpack, right? And out of those 10, I probably have told them, you know, almost in sort of an informal way saying that you do know that you are a mentor in my life for this, this, and this sort of a conversation. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, really? Well, am I? I'm like, of course you are. And for this specific reason. And and as you know that in a mentor-mentee relationship, it's the mentee that drives the conversation. It's never the mentor. And so I do drive the conversation. I will approach them and ask about different, different things. And, and, and all my mentoring sessions is micro-mentoring sessions. They could be a phone call. They could be a WhatsApp message. They could be a chain of emails that run over two days. There's different flavors of how these mentor, the micro mentoring sessions happen. I like that. I think it, for a lot of people, like mentoring might feel like it's a very sort of rigid kind of concept where you have to meet someone for coffee for half an hour every week at the same time. And like you've got to, yeah. And I think th- this is a lovely thing for people to hear is that it can be a lot more fluid and just sort of fit in with how we actually live our lives. I also think that the mentee, I, I suppose a good mentor is able to work with their mentee in the absence of a formal piece of paper that has been signed to help them understand and come to a some sort of a cyclical you know you know way of operating if a, if a mentee is and i've got at the moment i've got three young people that i'm mentoring two of them are female founders of female researchers one of them is a male university student and a master student and they are very different in terms of how they approach it one of them is very organized every two months 90-minute sessions, it's already in my calendar until the end of the year, it's all booked in, right? And two days before my meeting, I get an email saying, I want to discuss these following points with you. Here's what is happening in my life, blah, blah, blah. It's it, and, and I love receiving that email. The other one is we will meet for lunch or a catch-up every month. Then suddenly we won't meet for two months. But, but then there's, there's a very specific conversation or topic that needs to be discussed or spoken about in that session. But it's important to understand or establish a, a, a common thread that runs through this, these mentor-mentee conversations. And you can sort of, you know, it's a bit like the, as I'm watching on my screen, the audio sort of uh, bars popping up and down. It's a little bit like that. Like, you know, that string continues on, but you'll have different amplitudes of conversations on different bits and pieces as you go along. It's not a simple harmonic motion, put it this way. Is, was that nerdy enough? <laughs> <laughs> Yep, and you know, you can if you want more harmonic notions, you can go back to that audio engineer episode. No, no, no. I love it. Thank you. We're, we're, you know, a fair way off track from the questions that I said I was gonna ask you, but I think mentoring is like such a hot topic, but people don't necessarily know where to start. Yeah, have you got any advice for people who are at that point, like maybe they're mid career, a bit later mid career, and they'd like to start being a mentor? 
how do you get yourself known as a mentor? Yeah. So uh, how do you get noticed as a mentor or a mentee? To be a mentor. Okay, so first thing I want to very quickly touch on uh, on how do you find a mentor? Because one thing that I found with young people is that young people are always very, I shouldn't say afraid, but hesitant or unsure of how do I go and approach someone to be my mentor. And I think I can't harp on this enough that you are the boss. Like a mentee is in control all the time. You should hire and fire your mentors as in when you feel like. You are the one who's in control of the entire relationship. The mentor is just there. And if they're doing a good enough job, they'll be there for a long time. So I, I want to establish that. And I've been hired, uh, sorry, I've been fired by my mentees uh, in the past. And it's the most wonderful thing to be. That's the one thing when you get sacked is you enjoy that because you know that they've gone through the growth phase in their life to the next stage with need a different mentor. Not that you become useless. They've grown beyond you to be mentored by somebody else. Now, in terms of how do you become a mentor, if you are asking yourself the question whether I'm ready enough to be a mentor, it's already too late. So you are ready to be a mentor in high school, in undergrad and university, as a master's student, or as a CEO of a company, and you can pick any of these sort of roles and jobs or whatever, you are ready to be a mentor. Uh, you just haven't found the right person that you want to go and talk to and say, hey, you know, so the other thing is, uh, there, there's a certain characteristics of a person who is a mentor. Mentors speak in invitations. They they will always ask you questions in terms of, would you like to? Uh, what do you think about this? And what I wonder if this happens, what would happen? Like they, It's always a very expansive, open sort of conversation. So uh, if you catch yourself talking like that, you're a mentor. Because you will do those sort of things with uh, the mentee. And on the other side, if, as a mentee, if you find people who, who always speak in invitations, then they're a good person to approach and say, hey, I, wanna, I wonder if we can have a mentor-mentee conversation. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, it definitely sounds like something where you just need to practice a little bit. Remember that you know everyone's a person and they're not actually that scary. And a lot of people are just going to be so chuffed to be asked to be a mentor. 100%. 100%. How does the mentoring work through the Brainstem program? So, as I was mentioning earlier, the uh, in our in our flagship program, so we we do a range of different things with with uh, different sort of stakeholders in the in the journey. They are the students who are the mentees. Uh, they are the teachers in the school. They are the mentors, and then we have the industry partners. And in that continuum of uh, the different participants in in our mentoring programs, which is the Brainstem Innovation Challenge. The mentors who invariably are EMCRs, PhD students, postdocs, uh, they get uh, trained on how to be a mentor. So we've had the benefit of running 15 innovation challenges, 750 students, 70% girls, more than half the students from a lower socioeconomic background. And we've been able to sit in on, if not all, a large number of these mentoring sessions. So we have a database of about 50 mentors. And we've had, and, and COVID was a huge growth opportunity for us. You know, I, I was told that everyone must have a COVID story. It doesn't have to be a bad one, right? And so every business, every individual must have a COVID story. And if you don't have one, craft one. Not, not as a manufacturer or thin air, but go and think, have a think about what happened in those 18 months of your life and what came out the other end and what did you learn from it. So for Brainstem, it was a COVID was a huge great growth story for us because everything was online. We were sitting in on every single mentoring session and we were able to learn and observe 
what the good mentors do time and time again. We were able to observe and find out how do people deal with disengaged students? How do you do, you know, play certain tricks or games or whatever to, you know, keep the energy up and going? All of those sort of things. And so when our, so our mentor coaching programs have the best of all of that stuff which goes into it. So when you come on board as a new brainstem mentor, you will get trained on day zero before we put you in front of the students. Once it starts, then uh, they are, there's a whole structure in place. There are meetings on a fortnightly basis. You use things like Mural and Slack and Teams and all the kind of stuff, which is, you know, we're all quite used to using them. So it's almost second nature in terms of what you do in your daily, everyday work life. And if not, then you learn some really fun new tools. And we have to, I shouldn't say hold our mentors back, but the, the, level of enthusiasm that emanates from our mentors when they start working with high school students. I wish I could bottle that up and, you know, sell that as mentor juice because it is incredibly <laughs> wonderful. Have you got any particular stories that like is have you got a favorite story that's come out of this program that like you would bottle up if you could? Any particularly heartwarming <laughs> oh, uh, kind of Julia, uh, unfortunately, this podcast is not long enough. There are so <laughs> many stories, and I'm I'm obsessed about storytelling. See, the, the thing is, humans, we we think in narrative, we daydream in narrative, we speak in narrative, we communicate in narrative, we understand each other in narrative. But when time when the time comes to do presentations, we stick to PowerPoint slides and data, and the, suddenly the world becomes very boring and and uninspiring. So a lot of our work is about how do we teach young people to tell their own stories. In fact, we got funded along with five other universities last year for a program called 100 Girls, 100 Days, 100 Stories, where we are mentoring 100 girls around Australia in biomechanics to tell and help each girl to run to, to write her own story. But there's one story which literally happened two and a half weeks back. I was, uh, I was at Monash University uh, on, a, on a STEM panel on social impact and STEM and uh, at the end of the panel discussion, which was fascinating, there were so many wonderful questions at three different times. And there's like a networking going on afterwards with these students. And at three different times, three different students came up to me. One was a girl. And she tapped me on the shoulder and said, Sid, do you remember me? I'm, I'm Jess. Uh, I'm like, I'm sorry, Jess, I don't. And she says, I took part in Brainstem in, in 2017. And it was because of your program, I'm doing biomedical engineering at Monash. I was like, really? She said, yeah, I went to Deakin and uh, things didn't work out there. Then I moved to Monash and I'm doing biomed. And then five minutes later, another guy comes to me and uh, he says, Sid, I was there in Brainstem in 2016. And it's because of Brainstem, I'm now doing commerce and law. So sorry, I'm not doing STEM. But uh, <laughs> I, when I came to your program, I realized that I was not interested in STEM. And that's why I'm doing commerce and law. And I'm graduating this year. And then five minutes later, another girl comes up to me and she says, well, I'm graduating in biomed this year and I was in brainstem in 2017. What are the chances that on the same night, in the same room, in the same university, three people who went to brainstem and are there because of our program? And I'm like, my, my year is done. There are so many stories like this. That's fantastic. That's the kind of stuff that any organization like this would just lives for, really. You can you can go home for the rest of the year now. You <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, but 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 then the flip side of this is the flip side of this is last month I was speaking at a STEM conference in the western suburbs of Melbourne in Tarnit, and one of the things that we do as a part of our programs is we run a workshop for school students uh, in design thinking, critical thinking, problem solving, the empathy, definition, ideation, prototyping, testing, all that kind of stuff. 
we talk about the sustainable development goals and you they get to build a persona you know that persona is x number of years old there's a gender there's a name there's a life this person leads you know all the kind of stuff and then they actually physically draw a person on a butcher paper and put sticky notes to do all those sort of things and we run this workshop for the last five years and every single time we run the workshop uh in the eastern suburbs of melbourne the persona is sally she's 27 years old she has a golden retriever she goes for a run in the park you know she wants to go and do medicine you know whatever stuff like that suddenly i'm here in this workshop in the stem conference uh with a bunch of year eight kids and uh the persona was called waza and waza was 19 years old and waza has a gun and waza in, in on the weekend goes around the corner and buys drugs and i literally stood there stunned that 10 kilometers apart in the same city and they are just two different worlds and i mean as as good the workshop was i walked out thinking we have so far to go we have so far to go so much work still needs to be done so there are good stories but there are also stories that wake you up and say dude let's keep going it's definitely not finished no we only starting and then the funny thing is that you know in our board meeting a couple of a few weeks back we launched our vision for the next 5 years and that is 1 million voices uh we want to reach a million voices in the next 5 years so i've given the mandate to our board to say how do we get to a million voices in the next 5 years and that means partnership that means talking to organizations that means coming on on podcast like these and getting the word out to say we are changing and helping young people find their voice come and walk with us and obviously we'll be including the links to brainstem in the show notes so that if you are Thank interested you. you do want to do a bit of you know mentoring with not not just like being sent in to deal with year nines which you know year nines <laughs> can be amazing but they can also be you know year nines the, it's interesting yeah, school year training <laughs> yes <laughs> the the key school year love it and that, that's a that's a lot of people so looking forward to seeing how that one comes to fruition did you want to talk a little bit about how you've got to this point like what was your path say from high school to where you are now i'm assuming that this was not the original plan is <laughs> brainstem even if i was in my high school thinking of wild and crazy dreams of how far i would go this was never a part of the plan put it this way this was never a part of the plan 10 years back that's how quickly life can change to go back to high school i grew up in india my dad was in the army we traveled all over india i've seen a lot of the country growing up every two years we would move to a different place and move to a different school not because i was a bad student but because my dad would get transferred to a different city right uh, just putting it out there but in that process i gave, i i i sort of developed a life skill of connecting with people and making friends fairly quickly uh, and i enjoyed that did my uh, high school uh, studied really hard got some there's some interesting outcomes in my year 12 uh, which meant that i could not do medicine because uh, someone forgot to put the my school forgot to send the answer sheets or whatever to the education board something stupid happened no like for, way. The year, for the entire year level so then we had to sit another exam and Anyway, fairly complicated. So I ended up doing uh, my second choice, which was engineering. I did my civil engineering. Got picked up uh, at a campus interview to work for HP Hewlett Packard or the India partner. 
went straight into sales, worked there for a number of years, and uh, enjoyed selling or sales in, in, in technology, computers, and all those sort of things. Uh, met my wife uh, uh, along the way. Uh, we used to be classmates in school. There's another sort of story for a different sort of podcast. She's a doctor. Uh, and then uh, we decided one fine day that we should leave India and go somewhere else. And for some strange reason, the uh, the world of Australia was looking interesting. And about that time, I won an award for the highest sales achievement in Asia Pacific or something like that. And, and uh, the award ceremony was meant to be in South Korea. Yeah, that got snowed under. And they said last minute, we're going to Sydney. And so my wife and I came to Sydney uh, in 1999 did the bridge climb the hunter valley and it was like oh my god this place is amazing and then flew back and then i get a phone call by somebody who i knew saying sid we're opening an office in australia and i want you to go and run the business for us and i'm like okay i can do that uh, without having ever run a business and um, moved to australia lock stock and barrel um, in end of 1999 2000 and uh, worked there for uh, for three years in the meantime, I'd done an MBA in India as well. So I did my civil engineering, did my MBA in marketing, came here, studied, and then uh, worked in the industry for a number of years. And, and then in 2010, I thought, okay, that's enough. Let me start my own business, uh, which I did. And I enjoyed that. And, and in 2015 is when the penny dropped, when my son uh, was taking part in a school science competition and then landed up representing Australia at the world's largest pre-college science competition, which is where I saw a room largely full of boys and mostly white kids uh, doing amazing work in STEM. And I thought something is not right. If this is the smartest gathering of kids in the world in 2015, this is not a representation of what the world of STEM should look like. Uh, and we only have one child and he was seemingly doing okay with his studies and, and stuff. And so I looked at my wife and I said, what do we do next? Uh, we need to help more people, um, young people. And that's how we came back and started Brainstem. So it was a collaboration with your wife? She is my guiding light. She is, my, uh, she is the one who keeps me on the straight and narrow. Uh, she is an incredible uh, clinician, endocrinologist. But yeah, so my wife and I, she's my sounding board. So she's like, yeah, we should do that. And uh, that's how we began that. So she spends her time in her medical practice while I run around mentoring and running the Brainstem program. That's fantastic. I love the way all the all the things uh, collided for you to come to Australia. That's fantastic. I think it's also about saying yes to opportunities. I, th I think people don't say yes often enough. There's a research that came out of, uh, out of California, forget the university, but which talks about that the average person hears the word no 400 times a day. Not like specifically no, but things that can't be done or is not right or the negative connotations of it. So when you're born as a kid, you hear word no 400 times. And by the time you turn one year old, you heard that about some, whatever, 300,000 times or whatever. By the time you're 25, it's like some 1.7 million times. And by the time you are my age, it's like 95 million times, right? So the, the logic is that the more you get used to not doing something or not putting your hand up for things, the older you get, the less, the less risk averse you are, which is why young people, young kids are still, you know, going and doing stuff. And the older you get, you don't do as much of it. And so I think uh, for me, it was more about saying yes more often. And it also, I think, goes back to 
me moving as an army kid every couple of years to then saying, okay, we go to Australia, let's go. And we just packed our bags and left. And it'll be okay. And it, it sounds like it's working out okay. Oh, look, there have been plenty of challenges along the way and plenty of ditches that we fell in uh, uh, professionally, personally, but that's life, right? Is there any plan, this might be a bit bold, but to take Brainstem global, take it back to India, expand out to New Zealand? 100% because there's no way. Well, one thing is sure, we will hit a million voices for sure in five years' time. But that certainly will not happen staying only in Australia. So absolutely, you know, there, there are plans. And yeah, we are welcome to conversations from organizations working in the STEM field or passionate about helping young people uh, find their voice to come and talk to us interstate, internationally, across regions, across you know geographical spaces. Yeah, anyone and everyone. Awesome. So if you know someone... You know, where, you know where here, here. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's a that's a pretty uh, you know winding path. I'm imagining that there's quite a bit of overlap though between you know running someone else's business, running your own business, and now like running a for purpose organization. Like I'm assuming that there was quite a few transferable skills that migrated along with you. So I think I don't think enough people put enough time in appreciating the the value of lived experiences. And I, and I mean that quite seriously. The, and, and, and the sort of overriding sort of layer on top of that is that we don't give enough credit to our, our environment and the impact it has on us. And I don't just mean the weather outside or, you know, the friends. Or, I think, I, I mean, the collection of it all has a significant impact on us every day. And our actions are governed by that. Uh, which means that if someone screams at you at work, you know, you suddenly get put off that job or if someone, anyway, without even spending time in understanding why that was happening or what did I do or what did that person do. And, I, and when I look back at my journey in terms of working for somebody to then coming here and putting my hand up to start as, as a country manager of a, in, a, in a foreign country, building my network all over again, making friends all over again, learning even simple things like how to go and buy coffee and how to go to a grocery store and buy food because that's not how you used to do it in India. And like, you know, like random stuff like that. And uh, to then starting my own IT consulting business, to running a community of startup founders in meetup groups to you know, being on the Royal Society of Victoria Advisory Board and, you know, all of those sort of things. There is so much that we can learn. And you never know when what you've learned will come and help you in something along the way. And it might just be for a small moment in time. But that thing which you did three and a half years back when you were speaking with somebody and they gave some advice to you might help you for a minute and a half today. But you don't know that yet. So, yeah, I mean... I could, I, I wouldn't change anything in terms of what I've done in my in my professional life. If anything, I would read more because I, I mean I'm an obsessive reader. I, I read for about an hour and a half every single day, but I think I would read more. And I've been reading uh, since I was a little kid. One of the things my mom instilled in me was reading, and I read. I read like a mad, mad, crazy kid back then to even today. Like if you look at the back of my study, there's like a 50, 60 books sitting there to be read. So. Yeah, if anything, I would read more, network more. Know more people and read more ideas. That's, uh, that's a lot of reading. I read a lot. 
I, every morning I sit after I wake up and I you know made my cup of tea or whatever, I will sit down for about 40 minutes and I'll read every single day. And then my work starts. That sounds like a pretty healthy way to start the day. Have I know I've mentioned quite a bit of advice already, but is there any advice that you wish you could give like young Sid? Uh, any advice I would give to young Sid or my younger self? Your younger self? My younger self? <laughs> I mean, they, I think it's more about being a bit more fearless, uh, uh, being more being more out there. Don't be afraid of speaking what you're thinking. And having said that, I, 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 because I work with a lot of young people, I, I see that young people are very open in terms of very frank in, in expressing their thoughts. So one advice I would give, and maybe it's a cultural thing, you know, growing up in India, it's a very different culture to what is here. And I mean, I've, I've lived in this country for, for a good 23 years now. And so this is home. And I would like to believe that the way I think now is, is significantly different to what it was when I was growing up in India. So I think it is also a cultural thing. So growing up, you know, uh, be a bit more fearless, go and do more things, just make ton of mistakes, like really make a lot of mistakes in life. They are, I mean, they are no failures. They are either you win or you learn. So yeah, that's the one thing. And I would say read more, read. And if you have, if you think you've read enough, read some more. Have you got a favorite book that you would like to encourage everyone who's listening to read? That's a terrible question to ask someone who's got like 60 books. But well, and yeah, I mean, and they are different. I Look, I think I have the unfair advantage of having quite a few books. And depending on what I'm feeling at that point in time, I, I tend to grab a different sort of book. At any point in time, I'm reading about three books. At the same time, the one that I've gone back to more often than others is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Uh, it's a very short book to read. You sort of flip through it fairly, I think it's like 150 pages. But the, the thing that I like about The Alchemist is there are characters in that book that you resonate with at different points in time in your life. Even six months apart, you know, there's the little shepherd boy, Santiago, there's the glass merchant, there's a you know king of Salem, there's like a whole bunch of different characters. And this, this little kid is walking along you know, the deserts to find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So uh, that book I, I do go back to quite often. I like uh, I like authors. So Malcolm Gladwell is a good author of, that I like reading quite a lot of. You will know Harari. Any of his books are very nice. Uh, Sapiens, Homo Deus, uh, and uh, Adam Grant is something that I is is one that I'm reading more recently. Uh, a lot of his books resonate a, a, a lot with me. And then there's Dan and Cheap Heath. Heath, you know, they're all like you know, there's so many. <laughs> It was like asking for your favorite story. It was just cruel. I could keep going. I love it. Okay, so reading more, make some mistakes and have a go. It sounds like we like it would be beneficial for all of us to try saying yes a little bit as well. Absolutely. Especially to things we're slightly scared of. Are there any particular myths or misconceptions that you've come across? And th this could be, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of different fields you're working across, but whether it's about like STEM careers, whether it's about like women in STEM, I don't know, mentoring, like are there any particular myths that you'd like to take this opportunity to do a bit of myth busting off? In, instead of, I'll probably, <laughs> this is an interesting one because one thing that I came across, and this is, it's more of a frustration than a myth that, that sort of bugs me quite often. And yes, there's a bit of science behind it. You know, the whole 
and let's assume for a moment and i you know that gender is binary we know it's not but boys and girls generalizing okay we they say that boys are you know boys will see uh something and if they know that they can do two percent of that they'll give it a go on the other hand if a girl sees something then unless she's 99.9 percent confident that she can do a good job of it she will not do it and we see that in our mentoring programs you know program after program team after team when the mentor is talking about you know we're going to take this device we're going to open it up and we're going to see what's inside before he finishes saying the sentence or before she finishes saying the sentence the boys have already opened up and the wires are everywhere and if it's a girl's team the girls are standing there waiting for someone to open it or for the mentor to open it and then show it to them because otherwise they might break it and something might go wrong and so for me the frustration is that uh, but the, uh, but the other side of it is that once they do open it and whatever needs to be done girls do an incredible job of it they are far far better at doing things properly than what boys are at doing it and i'm like there is such a huge missed opportunity here that you know let's start increasing that 1% uh, or, or you know the 99 let's start dropping the 99.9% surety to 50% to 40% and just go do it uh, so for me it's it's more about that that just take more chances and that's what frustrates me that you know we don't encourage young people to take more chances and we should they should uh, and and applaud the the stupid things that come out of it because they gave it a go i th- i feel like that's something that's also like kind of trained into young people like girls are sort of taught quite early that they need to be sort of good um and boys are given a little bit more free reign to be not good yeah, it'd be nice if we can let the girls run wild a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. The the other thing I, I should say that with the uh, with the how best should I say it when it comes to taking risks and and giving things a go, um, you know this whole obsession about you know if you know if you want to become a doctor you have to pick STEM subjects or if you want to do such and such then you have to go and pick the following subjects and. When you're young, uh, you know, when someone says to you, follow your passion and, you know, do what really excites you, it can be really hard to to follow that because how do you explain to a, a year 10 kid about following your passion? Because mom and dad are telling you to go and do math methods and, you know, physics and chemistry because that is going to be getting you a job. And yes, we know that more and more jobs of the future are going to be STEM based, but and this is all coming out of the students who've gone through a program that they come and tell us that I, you know, I, I'm not interested in chemistry and I don't know why I'm doing it. I, I, I wish I had done psychology instead because that would have been more helpful to me. I mean, I did a civil engineering degree, an MBA in marketing, and I'm now running a nonprofit organization in STEM mentoring. Those two couldn't be further from each other. Like I've never, I mean, I, I do a fair bit of DIY work, but I've never designed a bridge in my life. I've never used my civil engineering degree. I mean, yes, it, it taught me how to think like an engineer and the, all the analytical thinking and problem solving, and that's a skill to have. So we should we should stop being slaves of traditional subjects in school and in colleges and genuinely start doing things because the one thing that is going good for young people is that the breadth of opportunities is insane. And... It doesn't matter what you study, you will be able to find something that you genuinely love and make money out of it. 
might not be easy, but... If it's easy, it's not worth doing it. Yes, there are a lot of easy jobs to get into. Not worth Turns out they're actually not so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Love it. Okay, so be a little less focused on degree title, maybe, and the specific subjects, and do try and do things you're interested in, especially year 11, year 12. You need to be interested in them to like survive because they're hard enough years anyhow. Uh, yeah, you want to have absolutely. something in there that you actually enjoy. And teachers, especially those primary school teachers, encourage the girls to like make mistakes and have a go because they get they get enough of being told they have to be perfect from the rest of society. They need yeah. to be allowed to make mistakes and get into it. Uh, as we start to wrap up, is there anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to share? Well, I mean, uh, from from my point of view, there are two things that keep coming up at the top of my mind. And it depends on, uh, if, if I put a lens in front of me, one is shining towards me or the world brainstem and the other one is what I send out to the world. And I've, I've, and from a, from a brainstem point of view, if anything, it's more of a call for help is, you know, I realized very early on when I started brainstem that the legacy of what I'm building or creating with Brainstem is going to last well beyond my lifetime. It's not for me. So I shamelessly go and promote Brainstem to as many people as I can because it is genuinely contributing towards the future of this country. And so if we have to reach a million voices, then we need a lot of people to uh, come along on this journey for us. So, you know, anyone and everyone is welcome uh, to be part of the conversation. Looking outside, the only thing I would say is that never stop learning. Never, ever stop learning. Even if you have a bunch of alphabets after your name or you are the CEO of a company or you're the head of the, you know, there, there's, a, there's a very interesting saying that it's very hard to get to the top of the mountain, but it also gets narrower and smaller to stay on top and keep standing on that small piece of land, right? So it might take a lot of, a lot of effort to get there, but it's also very easy to fall off from there because you, you don't have enough space at that point, at that height. So always keep learning because you never know the next time you you learn somebody. And then and the final bit, so I like those three things. The final bit I'll say is that always look out for people that you can reach out and help. It's not about what you can get from people, but what you can give to people. You know, this whole concept of instead of being a go-getter, be a go-giver. I think there's a book on that somewhere that I've seen. So yeah, help more people. You'll be richer from that. Love it. So helping people, Brainstem is going to be awesome for a very long period of time. It's going to change a lot of lives and mm -hmm. shape the future. And nope, I've forgotten what the middle one was. Uh, the middle one was uh, always keep learning. Keep learning. Oh, and obviously that ties beautifully into the keep reading and fantastic. I think they're all very good. You know, they're good take-home messages for you i know listeners you're at home probably but you know you can still take these home with you and to they're, they're awesome to wrap up sid have you got a shout out for us a virtual high five someone an organization people who you think is just doing an awesome job and all the listeners should give virtual high fives to the all the people who volunteer and tirelessly devote their time in working with the young people are are doing a wealth of service to the future of Australia. And I, I, and I can't thank them enough. In terms of organizations, people, 
I know that people like Margaret Evans Galea, who runs the Industry Mentoring Network in STEM, uh, I have admired her for a long, long time in terms of her dedication and the work that she does. She's incredible. But I mean, calling one name out and not others would be a gross disservice to the field that I work in because, you know, it is, uh, you know, people do it because they're deeply passionate about it. And of course, I can't uh, leave this podcast without thanking all the teachers who I know are literally <laughs> at the battlefront without getting proper training to fight the war with the way things are going at the moment. So uh, hats off to them because they are absolute legends. There's a lot of people there, but I think I'd really like to echo that one for teachers because it is tough and like it's a hard enough job as it is and it's they managed to make it harder. So high five to all the teachers. Please hang in there. Um, you know, there's not a lot we can... The good days are coming. Yeah. Yeah, there, there will be light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train, I promise. Yeah. Can't promise that, but, you know. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sid. This has been absolutely delightful. I think we've got some wonderful tips for people. And, yeah, it's just been a really great chat. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, please pass it on to someone else who you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to support Avid Resets this year, that would be amazing. Uh, you can buy us a coffee. Head to avidresearch.com.au and there'll be a link. Buy me a coffee and you can support us with a one-off little coffee payment. Thanks so much for listening. You're a legend. <laughs>